please be seated. Growing up, did you ever read Dear Abby or Ann Landers or did your mothers, right? I mentioned those two because for some of us over a certain age, they were staples in the newspaper, right? They'd be in the entertainment section, section right near the comics and the papers I grew up in. But they were always there. And I know that today there are like a million different advice columnists online, right? You can go to any website, they've got somebody there taking questions, real or imagined. But what I remember is the questions would sometimes range from the silly to the very serious, right? Dear Abby, we've, my husband and I have been married for 20 years and we still doesn't put the toilet paper on the, the roll on the right way. Should I divorce him? No, not after 20 years, probably not a good idea, right? But when you read them, you felt better about yourself because you're like, these people are just silly. Because you know in your mind, most of these problems could be solved with either a lot of common sense or a little bit of communication. Hold on to that for a minute. Hallelujah, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praise in the congregation of the faithful. God's doing something new in the life of the psalmist. He wants to sing something new to worship the Lord, right? He says, let Israel rejoice in his maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Whatever's happened, he's joyous. He's rejoicing in it. But look at how he, what he says near the end. He says, the Lord takes pleasure in his people and adorns the poor with victory. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, when we left Moses and Aaron last week, they were, he was, Moses was on the mountain of God standing in front of the burning bush. And Moses eventually concedes to God, and he listens and heads back to Egypt. And while he's on his way back to Egypt, his brother Aaron just happens to meet him out in the middle of the desert along the way. They then go together and tell Pharaoh that God wants his people free. And Pharaoh's initial response is to make the work of God's people even harder. Less straw when you make your bricks. No straw when you make your bricks, making it harder and harder for them to make their goals every day. And when Moses and Aaron pray, God says, no, I want my people to go free. So Moses and Aaron go back to Pharaoh. And then we have that showdown we love to watch, whether it's with Charlton Heston or whether it's, um, if you're a little bit younger, maybe it's on, in a cartoon, right? Aaron throws the staff on the ground and it becomes a snake. A snake. Then Pharaoh's magicians do the same thing, only their snakes are eaten by the one that Aaron throws. And then over the next few weeks, we get a series of plagues, right? Water turning to blood, frogs, lice, flies. The livestock has pestilence go through it. Everybody ends up with boils. There's destructive hail. There's locusts. And then there's darkness, each one of those being more imposing and more problematic than the last. Each one also goes against one of the gods of Egypt. And there are times when Pharaoh seems almost want to let God's people go. But then Pharaoh's heart is hardened and his mind is changed and God's people are left in oppression. God tells Moses he'll take the life of the firstborn of Egypt but warn Pharaoh. So Moses tells Pharaoh that if he doesn't let God's people go, this is going to happen. He warns him. And after everything that he has seen, after everything that's happened, 
he still does not listen. So here we read God telling his people how to prepare. God starts by telling them, with this, everything's about to change. Your salvation is important enough. We're going to change the calendar. I've said this before about this passage. Imagine if on July, in July of 1776, the United States decided that from now on, the month of July was going to start their calendar year. Because it was that important. Because that was the day we declared independence from Great Britain. This is what they're doing. They're now saying, hey, this is our new first month of the year. And then he outlines what his people need to do to prepare. Right? We get a series of cooking instructions. He says, go and roast a lamb. Take the blood from the lamb then and smear it on the do doorposts. If your family's too small or you're too poor to have your own lamb, go join with your neighbors who can share. And bring your animals in too. He tells his people to be prepared. He says, have your, loin, your, girds, loin, your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and eat hurriedly. Now I know I've mentioned this in the past, but to gird your loins is how they would take the robes and wrap them around themselves whenever they'd get ready for battle or whenever they'd get ready for hard physical labor so they wouldn't trip over their robes in the midst of their hard work. And God is telling them to do these things so they can be ready to go very quickly when this is over. God says this is the Passover of the Lord. God was promising to pass over his judgment on his people and anyone else who would listen. And we know God did. We know the story. We've seen it played out on the big screen and on the small screen, right? When the night was over, the heartbroken Egyptians finally listened, and God's people were freed. Like the psalmist said, God adorns the poor with victory. And they were given gifts to go and take with them. And God's people left Egypt. And next week we'll read about even more of the journey. Jesus says, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If a member listens to you, you've gained that one. Jesus is talking with the disciples after the transfiguration. In the last few verses, Jesus was asked by the disciples, who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? And Jesus grabbed a child and said, it's going to be someone with faith like a child. And he tells them, someone who leads any of these little ones astray, well, that's about the worst thing that you can do. And he goes on to tell a parable about a shepherd who has 100 sheep, but one of them become lost. And what does the great shepherd do? He goes out and he looks for that one lost sheep. And when he finds it, he rejoices. And immediately after that parable, Jesus begins talking to them about how the church should live together. Now, at the end of this passage, he gives us an assurance that if two or three are gathered together in his name, he would be there with us. Think about that for a minute. We don't need 50 or 100 or 1,000 of us to be together. Only two. So let's stay with what Jesus is saying for just another minute. Joining a community is pretty straightforward. Living in a community is hard. We were all raised a little bit differently. We all see the world a bit differently. Remember a few weeks ago we were talking about the body of Christ? And Paul says we're all different parts of the body. We can unintentionally hurt people through our words, 
our attitudes and actions. And I know that someone in here this evening is thinking something along the lines of, well, then they should just build a bridge and get over it. And see, that's the problem. Churches can allow frustration and bitterness over small slights to take root in their actions because we don't want to talk about the things that hurt us. When you say something like, what kind of an idiot would believe that? Who would vote for that person? I mean, really, who's a Phillies fan? There are probably multiple members of the congregation that are or that do. And listen, along with these little small sins, the hurting of each other unintentionally, there are big ones. There are times when people set out to hurt others, when we come nowhere near loving our neighbor as ourselves, when our broken world impacts our relationship with others, when we allow our own selfish desires to take control. And it's in these moments that especially we have to love one another. And Jesus gives clear instruction about how that should work. Remember sins against you. And notice here, he's not saying this is a, a fault-finding session. We all know there are people whose personalities get on your nerves. And that's not a sin. There are people that don't dress the right way or act with all the social graces. And those aren't sins either. They need to have done something that impacts you. Jesus says, if they're sinning against you, go and talk to them about it. And all too often, that's the hardest part. We often think we know what the other person will say. I hear this all the time when people come and talk to me about problems they have with others in the congregation. Hey, if I go, and when I say, why don't you go and talk to them? Well, if I say this, they're just going to say this. And then I'm going to reply this way. And they have the whole conversation mapped out in their mind before they've said word one to the person that's offended them. And often, the other person has no idea. Back to Dear Abby for a moment. So many of our church problems can be solved with a little bit of common sense and a little bit of communication. And it's much easier to see in someone else's life than in our own. Jesus says that talking to them individually doesn't work. Take a couple of people along. But notice, they're going along to hear the conversation. And if that doesn't work, take it to the whole church. And then Jesus says something interesting. He says, if that doesn't work, treat them like a tax collector or a Gentile. Now back to what I said earlier. Jesus says that when two or three of us are gathered together in his name, he's there. The church is present and active. That Jesus will listen to our prayers and answer them. But think for a moment about how Jesus treats tax collectors and Gentiles and sinners. He does so with grace. He gets in trouble for being with them. But he still heals them. And he welcomes them into the kingdom. Paul, still writing to the Romans, says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now last week we read how Paul focused on love and not taking vengeance as marks of how living sacrifices, how those of us with transformed minds ought to live. And here he continues on that theme. Jesus says some, Paul says something that Jesus, and even before Jesus, some of the rabbis have said. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. All of this is summed up in loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that this, in loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind, those are the two most important things that we do, the two commandments, the two laws. 
Paul says, love does, not, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Think about that for a minute. Does no wrong. That's a hard bar to live up to. But all we have to do is love others to fulfill the law. It's not in all the rules, and it's not in living all the rules perfectly the way we'd like to sometimes. Paul goes on to talk about how close he thinks the end is. Paul and the disciples are convinced that the end is going to happen today, tomorrow, sometime soon. And because of that, he says, listen, it's time to wake up. And he says things like, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The salvation he's talking about is the end, that time when Jesus returns, when we're reunited with our resurrected loved ones. And the apostles, to a person, believed that it would be soon and very soon. And because of that, there's an urgency in changing the way that we live our lives. To live according to the principles he's talking about here, to not bring any harm to our neighbors, to not seek vengeance on those we feel are persecuting us, to want to bring back into the fold those sheep that wandered away from God's love, to follow in the example of Moses and God's people in obedience. God adorns the poor with victory, knowing that the end result will be for our protection. And we're called together to worship. Where any two or three of us are gathered together, Jesus said, there I will be. But we also have to love one another. Amen.